The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, I have to tell you that um, when I was asked to be here tonight and do this, I considered it quite the honor and privilege and responsibility uh, to be able to stand up here in front of you guys and share with you what I believe God has put on my heart um, to communicate to you all um, as an imperfect follower of him, myself. Um, I think many of you in this room know me. I've seen some faces in here that I was surprised to see um, that are going to get an honorable mention in the sermon in a little while. Uh, I didn't know they were necessarily going to be here, so that's a surprise. But I said good things, so it should work. Um, but uh, what I do want you to know is the highest honor that I feel I have and privilege is not being up here, but it's being a husband to my beautiful wife, Donna, and a father to my three children, Ethan Jay, Maiden Elizabeth, and Micah Sullivan. He's pointing at me. <laughs> He's pointing at himself now. That a boy. Um, so I really consider it a privilege to be here, and thank you for allowing me to share with you. Um, I thought it would be a good idea for us to get to know each other a little bit. Um, it's just one little way uh, that I'm interested in seeing who I'm dealing with here tonight, and you can get a, a taste uh, of who you're dealing with as well. How many of you, when you see this picture and when you think of cranberries on Thanksgiving, uh, think about this relish-type sauce? Can I get a show of hands, please? Okay. That's too bad for you. And then the rest of you. How many of you, when you think cranberries for Thanksgiving, you think about, okay, look at how proud we are. You didn't even wait for me to tell you what to do. Can you talk about how many times, I mean, the can's even designed upside down with a label so that when you open it, it just comes right out. And you know the best way to get it out quick is to stab the top of the can, let a little air in, and then you hear, and it just plops right on the thing, and it shakes for about eight seconds. All the different side items you could bring with yourself to your family gathering, you've got to be like, honey, can you put that between your feet on the floor and make sure the lid doesn't come off or make sure it doesn't burn you? Or we're going to put that on the flattest spot of the vehicle in the minivan, which happens to be right in front of where the kids walk and sit, right? And so we got all these different things. Life would be a whole, so much easier if everybody just brought that beauty right there. And by the way, it's got predetermined slice lines on it. You can see the ribbing in the can is imprinted on this thing of beauty, and it just may, I can almost slice that blindly. As a matter of fact, I have to remember to bring this home because this is our contribution, my specific contribution uh, to tomorrow's Thanksgiving dinner. So, all right, back to what's most important, okay. Um, if you're a grandparent, a parent, aunt, or uncle, um, you might share a similar desire that my wife and I do, and that is to raise kids and to teach children in our care to be thankful to be thankful. One of the ways that you typically have heard this done or you've done it yourself is you've been at some sort of a gathering in the, with the family typically, right? Somebody's given something to you. Somebody's done something for you. And as a parent, after your kid receives that gift or whatever, what do you say? Now, what do you say, right? This is something that we typically say. We want to teach our children to be thankful. We want to teach our grandchildren to be thankful. We want to teach our nieces and nephews to be thankful. I think it's something that it's easy for us to say we all want for each other. We all want everybody else to be thankful, especially when we're given something, correct? Or when we do something, correct? 
But how much of it do we actually focus on it for ourselves? Not being thankful towards God and others comes a lot more natural than being thankful for some of us. For some of us, it's a little easier. For some of us, we have to pay more attention to taking the time to express to God and others how thankful we are for them. Because the truth is, if you think about it, everybody, there's always something to complain about. Am I right? We can always find something to complain about. Now, for the purposes of tonight, I want to make sure you understand where I'm coming from. And I ran this by uh, somebody that is very good with his grammar, and he said this was acceptable. Um, I know better than to do this on my own. There's a difference between gratefulness and thankfulness. There's a difference between gratefulness and thankfulness. One, for the purposes of tonight, follow me with this, one typically precedes the other. Gratefulness is a feeling, while being thankful is an act. Gratefulness is a feeling, while being thankful is an act. Ideally, when someone does something good for you or gives something to you, you feel great for for them, and then you offer them thanks as a show of your gratitude. If you're like me, you want to be thankful, which isn't a bad thing at all. Not a bad thing at all. But what we're doing, I think, is sometimes focusing on just the outward activity instead of maybe where it stems from in our hearts, which is having a heart of gratitude. Gratitude influences our attitude towards God and others. Let me say that one more time. Gratitude influences our attitude towards God and others. Now, it's important before we go too much further that I don't want to ignore certain things that I know are realities. I may not know everybody's situation in this room. You certainly, many of you, don't know mine. But when we look at what it looks like to have a heart of gratitude, it's just not always all that easy, and it's understandable. Sometimes things in the family aren't working right. Sometimes health isn't good with somebody that you love. Sometimes the test scores come back the way you didn't want them to. Sometimes the job just isn't bringing home enough pay. Whatever it is, the last thing I want to do is minimize that this evening, okay? So please hear me when I say that. But what I would like for us to think about is that gratitude isn't intended to ignore those issues, but rather it's intended to put those things into perspective, to put those things into perspective. Despite all kinds of reasons going against us at times, every once in a while we do okay. Every once in a while we do a decent job at practicing gratitude. For example, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. That's a time of year when it's like in the forefront of our minds, right? Um, Some of you and your families, you sit around the table and you talk about all the ways that you're thankful. Others of you, you might sit around the table and tell each other how you've all disappointed and let each other down over the last calendar year. You're welcome, Seinfeld fans. That's that, we celebrate that the Saturday before Christmas, or December 23rd, if I remember right, is Festivus. Get it in your calendars. Look it up. It's worth it. When we look at a holiday that brings to the front of our mind reasons to be grateful. It's not that those reasons aren't there the rest of the year. We just dig them out for tomorrow. And it's not that we're not thankful ever except tomorrow. Um, But when I came, when I was preparing for uh, tonight, I came across this quote that I thought was really helpful. This woman names Christy Wright, and she's a podcaster and blogger, and she wrote this. Too often we treat gratitude as a holiday ornament that we pull from the attic when we're ready to decorate. 
After the festivities are over, we pack it away and get back to the daily grind of life. Now, I don't know her, never met her, really couldn't tell you anything about her, but I believe that's pretty true. I believe that's pretty true. In our house, um, in our garage, my wife had this great idea. We put the shelf up high that goes from front to back on one side of the garage. It's a very, very long shelf, and it has all the totes up there, so they're out of my way, which makes me happy. And they're not all the way in the attic like they used to be. They're up easily accessible. I can get them down one at a time. A few weeks ago, I got the tote down that had the outdoor lights in it. And I went ahead on a warm day, and I got on my roof, and I strung the lights across the gutter. And then a couple of days later, later, I got out there and lit the bushes up and things like that, right? And uh, a few days after that, I'm walking from my driveway to my backyard, and my neighbor Jerry says to me, hey you're in violation of our homeowners association. Now, we live in a house from 1972 in a neighborhood that I don't even know if it has a name, right? It's just a street. We don't have a subdivision. We're not in an association. So I laughingly looked back at him and I said, so what, what am I in violation for? I thought he was talking about something else. And he said, well, however it is that you're able to put your lights up early, you're not supposed to turn them on until after Thanksgiving. I've had these things on for like two and a half, three weeks. And we were driving down our street the other day, and my wife goes, you've inspired everybody because everybody else has them on. I go, no, everybody else just kind of waited, you know, for the right time, okay? But although it may be too early to put up my lights or to turn them on, when I think about a thing of gratitude when I think about our attitude towards God and towards each other. If we're doing good, we have a good attitude about God's, God and each other, okay? And we don't think that we can turn that on earlier. We might treat that just like a holiday decoration, just like Christy Wright had said in that actual quote. I think it's God's intent for gratitude to be in our hearts and that it would be more than just this time of year. And then I'm pretty sure in December we're thankful also, right? Remember, gratitude influences our attitude towards God and others. Thankfully, pun intended, there's an example after many examples throughout Scripture of God's people being grateful to him and to each other for, uh, throughout many different circumstances. And what's kind of cool is when you read Scripture, you're not looking at it going, wow, these guys had it really easy. No, I mean, it's not a big deal that they're thankful There were a lot of problems in here. There were a lot of problems that you and I can relate to if we take the time to read this book, right? And you look at it, and and even throughout, especially when things are not going so great, um, people were grateful in Scripture. And when they weren't, they let God know it. When they weren't, they let God know it. One of the people that God used was the Apostle Paul. God used Paul to write 13 letters in the New Testament. Nine of those 13 letters began with a tone of thankfulness. Now, Jesus literally changed who Paul was. For those of you that don't know, when you look in Scripture and you look at Acts chapter 9, it talks about Saul, who used to be a persecutor of Christians, going from point A to point B on the road to Damascus, and he was confronted by Jesus And he was literally changed. He was changed from Saul to Paul. He became a persecutor of Christians to a leader of Christians. And so this man came from the opposite place in which he ended up. God inspired him to write more books in the New Testament than anyone else. If you would, take your Bibles out with me. 
and go to 1 Thessalonians. That's on page 1837. We're going to be in the first 10 verses. And I want to give a little background before we get into this while you're finding that page. This is one of the nine instances where Paul begins one of his letters with being thankful. This letter was written to Christians, uh, Christians in Thessalonica, who were under persecution of that day. And so this is important to understand that Paul is writing to a group of people who feel like they're under attack, and they actually are, okay, for what it is that they believe. Thessalonica was a city in northern Greece. It had a population of about 200,000 people. This was the capital city of the Roman Macedon province, and it was a major port city. Paul visited Thessalonica after he was persecuted and suffered beatings and imprisonment in Philippi. Please don't miss that. Paul, God used him to write more books in the New Testament than anyone else. The one who used to persecute Christians was beaten and put in prison in Philippi before coming to Thessalonica. Now, when he was in Thessalonica, after, excuse me, persecution is what forced Paul to eventually have to leave Thessalonica, he then writes this letter to encourage these Christians to remain steadfast in the same persecution that he himself had experienced. So he's talking from a place that he's been. He's speaking to a group of people that he knows what it's like to go through what they're going for. Read through, uh, follow along with me. Again, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, beginning at verse 1, going through verse 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you is how he starts. We always thank God for all, all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has been become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, what is Paul thankful for? When he speaks to the Thessalonians, when he talks to them about what it is he's thankful for, he has an attitude of gratitude towards them. And he begins the entire section by giving them something, by offering them grace and peace, undeserved love, and freedom from their disturbances. I looked up the word peace because I hear it all the time, right? And when I think of peace, I think of nobody in the house. Now, I don't think of watching the Lions game, but I do think about watching another football team win, maybe while I'm laying on my couch. That's peaceful. Tomorrow, tomorrow's game will not be peaceful, okay? 
I know that for sure. I'm just about positive. But when I look at what peace means, I love the fact that it said, when I looked it up, one of the ways that it was described was freedom from disturbances. Where does that attitude and act of blessing come from? He continues in verse 2, and he says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in, your prayer, in our prayers. So Paul is clearly thankful to them, and the interesting thing that I find when I read through this is it begins from somewhere else. It begins from an always thanking God and continually mentioning these people in his prayers. The next thing in verse 3 it says, continually remember. This is a conscious effort that Paul is making to remember the Thessalonians. They are clearly on his heart. They are clearly causing him to have a heart of gratitude, and I believe that he is genuinely grateful for them. So much so that he always thanks God for them, continually mentions and remembers them, and remember, he knows what they're going through because of the persecution that he himself had experienced. So we see right away that Paul is grateful, which influences an attitude of thankfulness. His gratitude influences an attitude of thankfulness. Take note, he's not thankful for them because if he gets enough people to follow this Jesus, that he gets a bonus. This is different. Paul's not thankful to them and talking to them about Jesus because if he gets enough people to follow him, he gets a bonus. He is loving these people. He has a grateful heart towards them and is thankful for them because of what Jesus has already done in him and is doing through them as they suffer in persecution. It's because of Paul being grateful to Jesus for the gift of salvation that his attitude towards others is one of thankfulness. There's your source. There's your source of gratitude. This translates directly to the way Christians in Thessalonica lived out their faith. When you read the rest of the scripture, it says, we don't even have to say anything. You have become a model to all the believers, he says, in the midst of suffering with the joy given you by the Holy Spirit. Not the joy that you woke up in the morning and mustered up yourself. Because that kind of joy is temporary. We're talking about the joy that's from the power of the Holy Spirit has given them For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. You turn from idols to living for the true God and waiting for his son to return from heaven. Jesus produced, prompted, and inspired them to act. This is no accident. The second half of verse 3, 3b says this. When you look in the text, you'll see work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, Endurance inspired by hope. When I look at the left half of that screen, I can work, I can labor, and I can endure. And I usually try to do those things on my own. Partially because I'm a guy um, and I'm a little stubborn. But when I look at the way that Paul is thanking people for the way that they are doing things, is that there's a cause and there's an effect. And the cause is faith, love, and hope. That is the driver there for what it is that they are producing, prompting, and being inspired 
to do. I believe gratitude to God can be a catalyst for living a life that has an attitude of thankfulness towards God and each other. Remember, gratitude influences our attitude towards God and others. Back in 1998, I was 22 years old. Uh, My grandfather was still alive at the time. Uh, He served in World War II in the Marines, 2nd Division in the Pacific. I took him to see a movie that day called Saving Private Ryan. Some of you may remember it. Some of you aren't old enough to necessarily know about it. I don't know. But it's an absolute excellent film. In that film, Steven Spielberg tells the story. I want to give some context here. He tells the story about the rescue of Private James Francis Ryan. Private Ryan represents Sergeant Frederick Fritz Neeland, who was rescued and sent home from battle in 1944. He was one of four brothers that served in World War II. The reason he was rescued is it was reported that his other three brothers had died in combat. This was a problem because if he was killed, none of the men from that family would be returning home to their mother. Two years earlier, two years earlier than 1944, so quick math, sorry, 1942. In 1942, Japanese tornadoes sank the American cruiser USS Juno during the Battle of Guadalcanal in the South Pacific. Some of you history buffs know what I'm talking about. On that ship, there were five Sullivan, Sullivan brothers, all who died. Later on that year, they enacted the sole surviving survivor policy. Saving Private Ryan was written by Steven Spielberg to simply represent this policy in simple terms. When a family experiences the loss of its sons due to war, the lone remaining son will not have to serve. And so the way this movie is set up is Private Ryan, who's a fictional character depicting a real person and from history in 1944, okay? And he is in the middle of battle in Europe And there's a man, Captain John Miller, who led a group of individuals to find that individual, Private Ryan, rescue him and get him out of war so that he could go home to be with his mom instead of her losing all of her son. Now there's a clip I'm going to be showing you from this movie in a little bit. At the end of the movie is where it picks up. Captain Miller dies just before this clip takes over, okay? Captain Miller, again, is the man who led the group of people that rescued Private Ryan from war to be able to bring him home. And he dies in battle, and Private Ryan is sitting, standing right near him and squats down, and Captain Miller calls him closer to him, and he says to him, earn this. Essentially saying, make your life living worth the loss of mine. I, um, <clears throat> I'm not so sure that there's a man I know that wouldn't want his wife to say that to him one day. You have led a good life, and you are a good man. <clears throat> Ten years ago, a friend of mine that I only knew for four years or so His name was Frank. He lived next door. His wife and grandson are 
in here today. He served in the military as well. He had two names. I'm not going to get into why, but after years of knowing him, my neighbor called him Larry, and I said, that's Frank, and I said, it's Larry. But apparently he had two names, and when I went to visit him in the hospital, I I had to figure that out because I couldn't locate him because I didn't know which name he was checked in under. It's a whole long story. He loved his wife, Barb, and their two children, Jackie and Jeff, and his grandson, Christian, who's also here tonight. Towards the end of his life, I know, because I was there, I know that he would have hoped that he could have asked Barb the question, tell me I've lived a good life and tell me that I was a good man. And I know for a fact that if he would have asked Barb that, she would have said absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. I shared this story without the video at his funeral because Barb asked me to do a service for him at the funeral home. And I remember closing the funeral out and saying, the thing that Steven Spielberg missed in that story as it relates to our story of salvation is we don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. I can't be good enough of a husband and a father as much as I try. I can't be a good enough Christian to walk into heaven and him be proud of me. That's just not how it works. He sent his son Jesus to die for me. And he sent his son Jesus to die for each and every one of you. And because of that, I don't have to sit there and think, Lord, please tell me I was worth it. Because while I was still a sinner, what did he do? He went to that cross for me while I was still a sinner. If we're all honest, we hope one day we can look back and say something similar about ourselves. We can't earn what God freely gives us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're already worth it in his eyes, everybody. Please hear that. You are already worth it in his eyes. Because of what Christ did for us, the Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. Out of Romans chapter 8. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also might share in his glory. When I look at being a co-heir with Christ, that is a privilege. That is a responsibility. I don't love my three children because they're amazing. They just happen to be amazing. I love them because they're my kids. God loves you because you're his kid. What we can do, however, and this is what's different, what we can do is live a life of gratitude towards Jesus and have a, thank, a heart of thankfulness, an action-filled life full of thankfulness towards him and others. If I'm honest, this isn't very easy. Reality is things don't often go the way I want them to. So it's hard for me to have a heart of gratitude. I don't always get what I ask for. More often, I probably don't because I ask for ridiculous things in my prayers, I think, sometimes. But in the midst of all that, am I still able to be grateful? In the midst of all that, am I still able to be grateful? Maybe, just maybe, God has some bigger things in mind for me. Maybe he wants me to use my gratitude to influence my attitude towards him and to others. He wants to use my heart of gratitude and how richly he has blessed me to be a light in a dark place and to bless somebody else. The key is, compared to that story we just watched the clip of and the story of how Scripture writes it for us, 
is there's no strings attached. This isn't a you do and then I'll give you. This is a gift because of love. Take a look at this prayer with me and notice the attitude of this man's heart towards the end of his life. This is an unknown Civil War soldier. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I had asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite of myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Now, you and I can wait till the end of our life and write something really cool like that, right? We could look back and think, gosh, it was better than I thought. I was more blessed than I realized. I should have been more grateful in my heart. I should have been more thankful towards others. And we could write that prayer. But I got to ask myself first, why wait until then? Why wait until then? God desires me to be grateful each day at the core of who I am today, not in the future. And I think he calls the same thing to you. Remember, gratitude influences our attitude towards God and others. If you would, please allow me to pray for us. Heavenly Father, despite what is going on in each of our lives, help us to have an eternal perspective. One that is not only possible through faith, that is only possible through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. May the power of the Holy Spirit give us, given to us, empower a heart of gratitude within us to live a life of thankfulness towards you and others. Thank you for always forgiving us when we sin against you and each other. Thank you for inviting us to come to you when we are weary to receive rest. Thank you that when we are lost, you seek us out. Thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to the cross to take away our sin and to draw us closer to you. In everything, God, you are faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.